Welcome to the Wild and Free Podcast, Episode 66. I'm Ainsley Arment, and this week we're talking with homeschool pioneer Sally Clarkson, all about her new book, Awaking Wonder. If you can understand that children are these amazing human beings made with incredible capacity to know, to grow, to question, if you can see them for the miracle that they are, and then if you can see them as individuals, individual personality, drives, and then if you can say, I'm going to come alongside and I'm going to walk beside them and we are going to learn together. When you develop a wild and free, or I'm going to say a wholehearted vision for what it looks like to really be a mentor to a child in the best sense, then I think that um, can help you through the fears, the hard days, all the other things. We'll also share some exciting things happening this fall in the wild and free community. So grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch. Let's get started. If getting outside is complicated, it's because we make it so. The solution is not to think about it. It's to go. First thing, before breakfast, before everyone's dressed, before you change your mind. Long ago, when I was homeschooling three little boys, I dreamed of mornings filled with poetry readings, candlelight, conversations, and creative writing. But a new babe on my hip made it impossible to sit. We couldn't make it through a book without someone breaking down. And we couldn't construct a handcraft when my hands were too occupied to help. So we did the only thing we could. We went outside. We didn't go far, mind you. Sometimes we only made it out the front door in our PJs. We splashed in puddles and danced in the rain. We drew on sidewalks and made pies out of mud. We counted shells and skipped rocks and made shapes in the clouds. We built forts out of branches and learned to climb trees. I used to think I had to plan, pack, and make provisions to go outdoors. But nature doesn't send us an invitation with a list of requirements. It simply beckons us to come, just as we are with whatever we have. It's always there, always waiting, and always ready to teach us another lesson. In those early days of being home with my boys, we never found our rhythm sitting still and learning indoors. Instead, we found our peace in the presence of wonder and wild things. We went outdoors in desperation, but we found more than a place to run wild and free. We found the greatest classroom we could ever hope to know. We found contentment in the summer breezes and the sundry shades of autumn leaves. We watched butterflies and dragonflies and the flight of bumblebees. We learned the songs of all our backyard birds and the sound of swaying trees. We discovered that wonder existed whether we chased it or not, but life became one continuous wonder when we followed its lead. Let's trade those screens for panoramic scenes of trees and mountains and stars. Let's open the doors and let the children outside Let's let them move, climb trees, skip rocks, make believe, build hideouts in hollows, and find treasures. Let's take them back to the place where they belong. Friends, this month's content bundle, Outdoors, is a bounty of fall goodness. And when you subscribe this week, you'll not only get the Outdoors bundle, 
but you'll also get last month's bundle, Fairy Tales, one of my favorites. Not only this, but when you sign up, we'll put a welcome kit in the mail with your first issue of the Wild and Free print magazine. Plus, as a member, you'll get access to all the audio from our past conferences. To learn more or sign up, visit bewildandfree.org slash bundles. Sally Clarkson is a mother of four adult children, a prolific author and speaker, and a dear, dear friend to me and the Wild and Free community. She recently chatted with Jennifer Pepito about her new book, Awaking Wonder, the most important aspect of homeschooling and how she raised world-changing children. Let's listen in. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sally. Oh, I love being with you. You know that I love this community. I love you. I love Ainsley. What a privilege to be able to be together again. And I needed the company. (laughs) Yes, it's interesting. It's been such a strange year. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about the book because I think so many are starting to homeschool who maybe didn't necessarily want to or are really afraid about it. Mm -hmm. And they just need a little bit of a vision. I think that that is one of the things that your book especially does. Oh, thanks so much. Well, I I was a pioneer, I suppose. Um, I started being committed to this whole arena in 1981. And um, it wasn't because I had ever heard of the word or knew anyone that homeschooled. But I, my, Clay and I were in Vienna, Austria. We were working there in an international chapel that kind of corresponded to the United Nations. And we had um, about 40 different countries in our church which was really fun and exciting. And we had a bunch of people over one day at lunch and there was a refugee from Iraq and who had climbed under the barbed wire to leave his country. And there were an opera singer and someone from the Philharmonic and some Russian business people and attaches from South Africa. And as we were sitting there around the table, I thought, ah, there's so much I would love to know. There's I've never been educated in my life. And um, of course, I already had my college degree. I could speak several languages because I'd been in missions a while. But I thought, I I don't know what they're talking about. All these artists and musicians and philosophy and politics and interesting people. And I thought, oh, man, I just wish I could learn and grow. And I just was excited to realize that there are more areas that I could um, kind of conquer that I never had. And so that is when Clay and I were talking and we both said, if, if God ever gives us children, I think we should educate them at home and give them a wonderful uh, education. And at the moment, I was only pregnant with my first child. <laughs> I love so, that. Anyway, a little background. We, we started out not knowing what we were doing, but we started out with total ideals. Yeah. And what you started out with with was excitement. And I think that that is a big key to families taking this year and making it a success is starting out with excitement instead of fear. But how did you, you know, I imagine you would have had some of the same, like, can I do this as well as the, the public schools? Can I teach my children enough? How did you combat those fears? You know, I think I combated them later. Uh, because uh, when I got into the reality of the day in day out messes and you know little bickerings or just coming to my own limitations, but 
um, at the beginning, I thought there has to be a better way. And uh, I'm, a, I'm an intuitive, I'm, I'm very visionary. And I just remember that oftentimes I was so bored in my own education, in my classes. And um, so from the beginning, we kind of put together what was a very idealistic um, lifestyle. We said, we're, we're not going to give grades. Uh, we're, we're not going to be age graded. We're going to have our kids in a little kind of community of people that we get to mentor and, and travel with and encourage and inspire. And um, I'm a person of deep faith. And so uh, it was very important to me to give my children an organic, bigger than life understanding of their creator and of the world. And, um, and so that was a component in it. And so we literally just talked about and wrote down all the things we wanted to do. And, um, and we were living overseas. And so then when we came back, we actually thought, oh, my goodness, there are a few people who are educating their children at home. But um, I think that the most important starting place is vision. If, if you can understand that children are these amazing human beings made with incredible capacity to know, to grow, to question, to explore, to, to become, if you can see them for the miracle that they are, and then if you can see them as individuals, individual personality drives, and then if you can say, I'm going to come alongside and draw out their potential, expose them to great uh, artists, musicians, literature, life, and I'm going to walk beside them and we are going to learn together. When you develop a wild and free, or I'm going to say a wholehearted vision for what it looks like to really be a mentor to a child in the best sense, then I think that um, can help you through the fears, the hard days, all the other things. But without a vision, uh, it says in Proverbs, without a vision, the people perish. And so I think starting out with great input, um, good sources, wonderful people to follow, uh, that really helps set you on the right course. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you address vision because I think that is such a huge component for really feeling confident in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Because if we feel like we have to do everything that everyone else is doing or everything that the, the institutional schools are doing, uh -huh. then we can get pretty discouraged with what with our own limitations. Right. But if right. we know what we're about, if we know that, you know, our family is going to pursue music. And so we're going to not do these other things that other people are doing because we have a vision for this. You know, if we know what our vision is, it's easier to stay on track. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But sometimes I think that what happens with us as moms is we get a vision, we get all excited, we get going. And then we have a hard day where, you know, our husband doesn't like what we plan for the day or our kids have a fit about it. And we, f we fall into almost a shame spiral. Where we're like, I'm a failure. I can't do this. I quit. Yeah. How do you keep the wonder going when you have those inevitable bad days? Well, for one thing, I think everybody needs to read Awaking Wonder <laughs> because I, I did talk a lot about that in there. There's so much I would love to say that I just can't get to all of it. But um, I think that it's so important. Uh, you know, I, I can remember when I first got married and I, I, I had said to myself, you know, I'm just going to make it a goal that we're never going to argue. And of course, then when we did argue, you know, just a few weeks into the marriage, I thought, oh, no. And um, I think that uh, if people can see the long run, it's a marathon. You have many years 
to develop a character, to inspire your children, to educate them. You don't have to do it all at once. And um, I, I think that, you know, there, there are so many things I could say, but I, I literally fell in love with my children and I wasn't expecting to. I had never changed a diaper. I had never babysat very much, just a couple of times in my life. I was 31 when I had Sarah, my first child. She's 36 now. And all of a sudden, when I held her in my, in my hands in the hospital, she was um, a failure to thrive baby, actually. Uh, she had a hard time breathing, and she had myconium-filled lungs. And I was holding her and looking at the miracle that she was. And it was as though I felt God whisper in my heart, in my mind, um, this little one has eternal consequences. She has a heart and a mind and a soul. How will you so love her? How will you so take care of her? And how will you nurture her in her life that she can thrive and become the person she was created to be? It was kind of one of those aha moments. And so as long as I kept the vision that that would be one of the most important stewardships of my life to have the, the responsibility, the treasure of cultivating a real live human being that they might flourish in life. So that heart commitment came before um, the, the uh, structure of how I was going to live. And um, I think that there, that women have such great hearts and we all, Uh, love our children, and it is hard in an isolated world. But I think women have great capacity to civilize and to love and to give. And I I want women to know that I believe that every woman has agency to cooperate with her unique story, with her unique children, and that, as I look back, homeschooling helped me to live into the capacity I never knew I had. For growing, for becoming. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I look back now and feel like I'm a different person because I took on the responsibility of mentoring my four children. Absolutely. I, I've been so very grateful for that opportunity and really recognize the cost to my husband that he he goes and works a somewhat boring job so that I can watercolor paint with my children and memorize poetry and yeah. go on hikes in nature. And what a, <laughs> what a dream life I have. You know, and I appreciate what you're saying about just recognizing the impact of our work, because I think that as mothers, we are shaping culture. We're you know, we're creating people who could be world changers, who could right. contribute to solutions to world poverty or to racism or to whatever the, the evils of the day are, if we look at it as this this special mm-hmm. assignment instead of just this daily drudgery. Well, and I, I know, and I, I'm here to say, at, um, I'm, I'm almost 67, I will be that in a couple of weeks. And I look back on my life and I look in the lives of my children and I think, wow, they are miracles because each of them have grown into vast potential. Um, You know, I I have a composer son and he's done film scoring and he's composed music that's been in the Vatican and on PBS and he's getting his PhD in St. Andrews. And then Sarah is an author of seven books and she graduated with a master's in theology from Oxford and um, Nathan is a film producer and he's also a writer and uh, he has a podcast. And then same with Joy. Joy is the first one to finish her PhD. 
and she uh, is teaching in um, in university settings. And so I look at them, and they're all passionate about life. And I think a part of it was that when you kind of identify the voices in your head from your own maybe educational experience, I think that we have this idea that there's some kind of magical thing they need to learn at six and that they need to sit in rows and they need to go through textbooks. And when I said, no, we're going to make the most important thing is going to be a foundation of unconditional love. I want my children to have a relational mentor who speaks forward in their lives, who cares for them, who loves them. And so I started with that. And then I wanted um, to to be somebody who uh, came alongside and thought about how can I ask questions? How can I uh, give them the best resources and create a life of wonder? And And so I don't know if this makes sense, but I'm here to say that dreaming through all the drudgery, I mean, I... I remember one day my husband came in and he said, well, the house looked a little bit of a, um, you know, menagerie. <laughs> I mean, we had Legos out and, and there were probably some clothes strewn on the floor and a couple of coffee cups here and there. And he said, someday we're going to have to get more serious about homeschooling. Well, it just about devastated me. I thought, what do you mean? I am serious. And um, but I look back on that time, and so I gave him about four books. I said, just read these books. They were about uh, really cultivating intelligence from Smithsonian Institute, things like that. And after he read it, that's when we wrote our first book, Educating the Wholehearted Child, because um, we th- he said, oh, my goodness, what you're doing really is historically correct. And I thought, oh, finally, maybe you won't notice all of the ups and downs and messes that we have around us. We'll be right back to our conversation with Jen and Sally, but I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting event happening on October 24th. This year has posed so many challenges for us as individuals, as families, and as communities all over the world. And I know that in the midst of it all, one thing we're all desperately missing is community. In this season of social distancing, our beloved homeschool community may not be able to meet in person like we're used to, but we can turn to the next best thing, our online community to support and encourage one another. In this spirit, we're announcing our first ever Wild and Free simulcast this Saturday, October 24th from 9 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. We film the event in front of a small studio audience at the factory in Franklin, Tennessee, making sure to social distance and follow all the health guidelines. We wanted to create a -a one-of-a-kind experience that could be broadcast into your home and provide the same feeling as a gathering with friends at a Wild and Free conference. In short, we wanted to bring all the magic of Wild and Free straight to your living room. This isn't a Zoom call, but rather a full-fledged conference experience with all the music, messages, and magical moments you'd find at a Wild and Free event. You'll hear from presenters such as Sally Clarkson, Julie Bogart, Amber Johnston, Elsie Uticello, Leslie Martino, Greta Eskridge, Rochelle Baburna, and of course, the incredible music of The Hunts. Plus, we'll share backstage interviews with the presenters, surprise moments from the event, and a guided tour of the Farm Village. The simulcast will premiere in real time on October 24th on the Wild and Free membership site. However, you'll be able to access the simulcast for 30 days 
so you can watch at your own pace or repeatedly for the rest of the month. Also, I just wanted to mention, there's no cost for having additional viewers in the same room. In fact, we encourage it. So watch with your family, gather some girlfriends, or even host a little party with your wild and free group. We just hope you'll join us. This isn't quite the year we had hoped it would be, but if there's anyone who knows how to roll with the punches, it's a wild and free mama. Just because we can't be together in person doesn't mean we aren't still in this together. I hope you'll join us this Saturday. To learn more or to sign up, visit bewildandfree.org slash simulcast. I love that so much because I think so many families get it backwards. They think that they need to start off with workbooks and this really rigorous education when when in the early years, what would be more appropriate for developing intelligence is play and creativity and projects. Can you just like encapsulate a few of the things that you did in those early years? Well, I think the first thing people need to know is that um, that vocabulary is what gives power. And so from the time your little one is in your arms, when you're saying, look at the bright, beautiful sun, isn't it, isn't it gorgeous this morning? Or uh, that the tiny little hairy caterpillar is crawling across the, the leaf. Isn't that interesting? And when you hold, it's a funny thing, but I read a study that said, when you hold your child, touch it, kiss it and speak to it, it creates intelligence. Isn't that interesting? That's uh, amazing. Yeah, we were made to be people of words. I love you more than the mountain, um, you know, or, or singing to our children or reading a psalm to them or whatever. Um, when we touch, cuddle, play, sing, immediately it's as though it ignites the brain to kick into place. And so I would say, first of all, just start out with what mothers do well, loving, kissing, touching, hugging, speaking. And um, then the second thing is I always think of how do I make my home into a place of resource? And of course, the first things children love is they love outdoors. They love uh, being where there are bugs or berries or leaves or uh, puppy dogs or mud or, you know, and so spend a lot of time with your children in nature, making observations. There's, there's uh, so many ways that children can just play and access knowledge. And then, of course, in, um, one of the main ways that we really educated our children is we were reading to them from the time they were in our lap. Um, we, we had beautiful picture books that had that kind of depicted the values we wanted to pass on. There was an, an illustrator called Eloise Wilkin who used to write or draw these beautiful images of children playing and singing and, and being with their parents and being in the home and eating meals and so I collected a lot of Eloise Wilkin books, but I would look for beautiful books that I could read over and over and over again. And um, the, the again, the vocabulary and the imagination is what spurs uh, the inter- intelligence most of all. So reading a lot. Uh, we always had uh, short devotions in the morning and every day all the time. It's like laying one brick a day is what makes a big, a big castle. Uh, and so we, we tried to give our children things to do, painting, dress up clothes, uh, you know, all sorts of things. We have a lot about this in the book, but I just tried to think about how to make the rhythms of our lives consistent, dependable, how to make, uh, you know, the rhythms and routines, how to make the resources uh, 
stimulating and wonderful and fun and um, how to provide it in an environment of deep, unconditional love with words of affirmation. I love that. That's so encouraging and helpful. Such practical tips. But here's a question I think a lot of families are facing this year. What those who are going to distance learning are expected to put their fairly young children in front of a computer several hours a day so that a teacher can teach them. And then as moms in this in this digital age, we're struggling to pull ourselves away from our phones so we can look at our children and kiss them and hug them and all of those things. How how would you talk to moms today about balancing the online world with their in-person world? Well, I would love to know what you think about that, Jennifer, because um, I would probably just say, if you have young children, don't, uh, don't put them in front of a computer screen three hours a day. Um, I think it's mind numbing to have to sit and listen to anyone. And it, maybe I'm ADD. I probably am, but um, just to sit there is, to lecture for one, lecture in person is the least effective means of education. People retain less from from um, from lecture than any other method of um, teaching. Um, they they learn far more when they're even if they're just building a Lego while they're listening to a story being read. There's some engagement that happens between uh, playing and listening. So even if all they did this year was uh, read, 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 and do one simple math book a year, their children would be far um, ahead of most of the children in their age group. 100% agreed. <laughs> 100% because in those early years, your your whole sensory system is developing. Right. And, it, and that requires moving, pushing, pulling, yeah. uh, manipulating small things. And that mm-hmm. doesn't stop just because you enter elementary school in first grade at six years old or something. Right. And I mean, there's so many resources now from there's audio books, there's fun um, storytelling books, there's a huge library at... Uh, Focus on the Family has some really interesting historical stories and lots of things to listen to. I just think that the opportunity for a child to be free to explore, to be free not to be compared to all the other children or fear that they might get into trouble for talking too much, um, there are so many things that, uh, that when you set up your home and look at it as a laboratory for life that can really provide that security and comfort and inspiration to children. That's beautiful and so important. But I think that the one last thing then is for those moms who actually have a little bit of work that they have to do every day, or they maybe have an online business. And I know that part of the time while you were homeschooling, you were already writing books. How -hmm. did you carve out time for mother culture or your own pursuits? You know, I think that uh, having a really developed schedule helped me a lot. And um, one of the things uh, that I did is I, you know, I, I, we kind of had a regular uh, breakfast time devotion and then immediately I would read to the kids and then I carved out, okay, now go outside and play for an hour. <laughs> you know, I had times during the day, uh, though most of my work um, I did on the weekends or early in the mornings, even before they got up, but um, they, they had times to play every afternoon at a certain time I would give them, give them baskets of books and they had their own hour. I said, just think you get to go into your imaginary world and and you can read. And I would reward them greatly. I'd go to the dollar store and get prizes. 
you can read, you can uh, you can listen to the book on tape. This is going to be your special time that you get to go in your inside world, and and I would reward them greatly. And so I had a couple of hours, um, you know, built into my schedule, uh, other play times, but we kind of uh, really stuck to that. And then I only um, home educated four days a week. Uh, in other words, I, I kind of built into my own life uh, times when I would work, times uh, when I would, um, you know, set them on courses to do other things, times when they knew what to expect. They knew, oh, we get to go out and play during these two hours of the day. Oh, this is a time when we sit still and do, um, you know, we're going to read or explore or whatever. And so I think that um, making your schedule work for you is very important. Yeah, I, I never wasn't working. Um, this is my 21st book. Uh, I've been traveling, speaking, writing, blogging, podcasting uh, forever. And um, it actually, you know, it just worked out. Uh, was it a lot of work? Yes. Uh, but it worked out well. <laughs> and and I'll just say my kids kind of got involved in our work. You know, they, they ended up loving what we did and ended up doing a lot of what we do. And probably a lot of who they are as people now came from those opportunities to interact with strangers and those opportunities to listen right. to adult level conversations as they were helping out in your business. Well, and we, we uh, did conferences all over the United States, some parts of the world um, every year. We did uh, like a couple of months of conferences. And I think it was one of the best things we ever did because our children had to um, learn how to reach out. They had to haul books. They had to sell books. They had to do accounting. They had to, it was, and they, uh, we would, we would reward them greatly for being with us. Oh, thanks so much. You're the, you're the best book uh, that I've ever written, you know, because you have a story to tell. And um, they learned how to have manners. They learned how to serve. They learned how to be exhausted at work. They learned how to be praised for what they did. And then, of course, there were always the, you know, look at my eyes. If you ever do that again, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's a, you know, it's kind of a, a both and. But uh, but I think that the point is, is that education isn't just curriculum. It is about their character, their manners, their vision, their um, what they experience. So I think it's it's a holistic, organic process of developing the whole person, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. And I think one of the things that you said that's really key here is that it wasn't just you setting up everything to be centered around your children. You guys as a family had a vision. And so a lot of their development came as you and Clay ran after your own vision. I think so. And I think the reason my children are also purpose-driven today and, and they care deeply about the impact that they leave on the world is because we we cultivated that as a family. We couldn't do what we do without you. you. We love you so much. God has a place for you in your world. And you're, you're so right, Jennifer. It was education wasn't disconnected from their lives. It was about connecting to the great ways they might become a hero in their lives, in their own time, and then yeah. giving them a practical way to begin learning how to serve people. I think that we all wish that we could just have like a Sally Clarkson infusion and just <laughs> just like have, you know, because I, I think sometimes it's easy to think you're just a unicorn, Sally. You're you're so no. amazing. And the rest of us can't possibly aspire. But I think that the book Awaking Wonder is going to inspire so much of this hope and excitement about 
leading our children in their education? Well, I think you're pretty amazing. And I don't think that people know all of the ways you've invested your life. I just love who you are, Jennifer. I love Ainsley. But um, I think the one thing I want to say is that we were not special. Uh, We had our ups and downs. I had to confess to my children, I'm sorry I got angry or whatever, you know, here and there. But I think it's kind of like if you plant a seed in good soil and water it and um, give it sunshine, protect it from dangerous elements, it's supposed to grow. And I think what I learned is that in spite of all the things I never finished, all the ways I was imperfect, that, oh my goodness, when we cooperated with loving them, providing them an an environment to be free and to learn, to grow, and um, giving them purpose, they just grew. And they will in your home too. Children are made to grow. Oh, that's beautiful. What a wonderful way (laughs) to leave us with hope and encouragement, Sally, that our children are made to grow and we just have to keep sowing the seeds and watering them. It's so true. And and it it takes a while. Uh, You know, when you plant a seed, you don't uh, go look at it five minutes later and go, oh my goodness, nothing's happening. Uh, You know, to build uh, like our little aspen trees. Uh, They've taken years to become gigantic, but now they're beautiful after many years. And, right. Uh, and, that, and I think that's a, such a good key there, because as, as moms, we can be so focused on short term results and then feel despairing and want to give up when we see something going wrong. But if we look at the long picture and just keep putting in the work and keep loving and keep sowing wonder, mm-hmm. we're going to reap the results. Well, I have to leave you with one last proverb. It, it says where there are no oxen, the stall is clean. And I I was reading that one day and I went, oh, my goodness, I've got six oxen in my stall every day. No wonder it's never clean. So um, I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the oxen that are getting the stuff done. Yeah. We're doing doing things as a family. We're making making messes and they're beautiful messes. Yeah. So anyway, if if you have one, it's, it's, it's very normal. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sally. This has been very encouraging. I know the Wild and Free community is going to love learning from you. Oh, I thank so much for asking me, Jennifer. I can't wait to see you again sometime. Thanks so much for chatting with us, Sally. Friends, don't forget to check out our content bundle, Outdoors, which is filled with articles, podcasts, tutorials, and other valuable resources to help you nurture a love for nature in your children. Check it out at bewildandfree.org slash bundles. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but join us again next week for the Wild and Free podcast.